This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. Well, it might be easy to say that we should all be more compassionate and kind and have empathy for everyone around us. It's usually not something that comes easily or naturally for most of us and can even be seen as a sign of weakness in our highly competitive culture. As we start another year, we're going to have a conversation today about the importance of compassion, kindness, and empathy through the lens of Florida Gulf Coast University's Roots of Compassion and Kindness, or ROCK Center. That's right, FGCU has has a center dedicated to teaching students about compassion using insights from psychologists, philosophers, neuroscientists, and scholars from across disciplines. Those FGCU students then apply what they have learned by going into local K-12 classrooms to share what they know through interactive activities and just FaceTime with the next generation. The Rock Center aims to foster positive academic and behavioral outcomes through strategies of empathy and engagement. They're currently partnering with 14 schools in Lee Collier and Charlotte counties, as well as the Little Eagles Child Care Center on campus and the Quality Life Center after school program in downtown Fort Myers. I spoke earlier today with the center's director and two of its faculty members. Let's hear that conversation now. Dr. Maria Rocca is an associate professor in the Department of Integrated Studies at Florida Gulf Coast University and director of the university's Roots of Compassion and Kindness, or Rock Center. Maria, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back, Michael. Dr. Megan Norsha is a visiting assistant professor in the Department of Integrated Studies and also a faculty member of the Rock Center. Megan, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you. And Jamie Wilson is a visiting instructor in FGCU's Department of Integrated Studies and also a faculty member in the Rock Center. Jamie, welcome back to the show to you as well. Thanks, Mike. Maria, let's start with some foundational stuff. Um, how did this come about? Tell so us, the, tell us of, the, the backstory of the Rock Center. The Roots of Compassion and Kindness Center uh, was the brainchild of an original donor who came to us and said, you know, I think we really need to be teaching compassion, kindness, and empathy to children. And is there any way we could create a program? And so we modeled a lot of what we do on our Wings of Hope program, where we offer courses at FGCU to our students in compassion, kindness, and empathy. And then we have service projects where we partner with schools all over. Right now we're in three counties. Uh, we're at 14 schools this semester. And we make year-long commitments to the schools. But we also have been working at the Quality Life Center, doing after-school workshops. We have a, a Rock Reads program, which Meg can tell you all about, where we go into Little Eagles here on campus, but also to um, the after-school program at the Quality Life Center. And then we're working with Tice Elementary on uh, a literacy project that is connected to compassion, kindness, and empathy. And so we have grown a lot in four years, but you know, we went from the, the kernel of a brainchild of a donor to a program that is reaching three counties pretty extensively right now. Is this program unique or novel when it comes to universities in the United States? The way we approach it, yes. There, I don't know of any other university who's got a compassion center that does the kind of work that we do. We are very much a community-based center. Uh, there are some very big centers at places like Emory University up in Atlanta. Um, Stanford has a very big center, but they are quite different in the way they approach what they do. They're much more theoretical, research-based. Um, they do have some training programs that you can purchase, but they don't offer courses the way that we do. I don't know of anyone else who is doing exactly what we're doing. Jamie, have you been involved with it right from the beginning or not quite? I, I think so right from the beginning. I got a call from Maria and said, how do you feel about compassion and kindness? And I said, I feel great about it. And, uh, and then she, she knew my background uh, working with kids 
and in service. And um, I have a background in uh, K through 12 education as well before I came to teach at FGCU. And I think it was just kind of like a seamless transition to take what we were already doing um, in our classrooms with service and then integrating that with that um, emphasis on compassion, kindness, and empathy. Megan, what about you? You're you. How long have you been here? This is my third year, and I was so lucky to get the chance to come and work with Maria and Jamie and our other colleagues at Rock. It's really been such a great experience. I have a background in children's literature, and my research has been on games and how 18th and 19th century games taught children about their role in empire. And I have two kids of my own, so I really wanted to think about a different kind of literacy and a different kind of way that we could teach children other kinds of skills. So now I work with kids. We um, make games and teach kids about kindness, compassion, and empathy. Uh, Maria, I read your newsletter, The Rock Garden, cleverly named. Um, uh, first of all, you talk about roots requiring seeds, and we'll get to that. Um, but there's a line in it that says, as we consider whether we want to become compassionate and kind individuals. And I guess where I want to start is, is being compassionate, is being kind, is having empathy something that we have to choose? I believe so. So um, one of the courses I teach, which I think you might have taken, was <laughs> Seven Deadly Sins. And that was the I first class I took here at FTC. <laughs> glad, glad to know it's still around. Yeah, and you know what I say to my students there is we indulge sin, we nurture virtue. And in this case, with compassion, kindness, and empathy, it requires nurturing. It's much easier to be mean. It's easier to be self-centered. But if we want to be, if we want to live meaningful lives, you know, if at the end of our lives we want to be able to look back and say, was it worthwhile? I think it's really important to nurture compassion, kindness, and empathy. Um, ironically, it also makes for a happier, more satisfying life. Would you, either of you guys like to chime in? Or at least let me let, let you know you can chime in at any time. Okay. I don't want to just make this no. a conversation no. with yeah. Maria. Um, do you think that it's a cultural thing for the baseline to be not leaning toward that? Or do you think it's a universal human thing? So I think we are currently living in a culture that is meaner than any I've ever seen in my life. And I've been around for a lot of years now. I think we are um, not doomed to that as the cultural uh, milieu that we live in. And I think if more and more people chose compassion, kindness, and empathy as at the heart of their decision-making, their behavior, we could change the world. And I think there's been a lot of research, right? The longest-running study on human happiness at Harvard has shown that the quality of our lives and our happiness can be determined by our relationships, the relationships we build with each other, even the relationships with the clerk in public, the relationship with our coworkers, with our colleagues. And what better way to foster those relationships than through teamwork, through kindness, through um, little acts to, to make people stay better? Jamie, do you feel like you try to lean into this? Have you always been that way? And if so, why? I, I think it's a practice skill that I try to model for my own kids. Um, and I find that when I meet someone in public and they ask what I teach and I say, oh, I teach about kindness, compassion, empathy. And their first response is, I can't believe we have to teach about those things. And <laughs> that, that's usually the first thing. And and I said, you know, I think a lot of people think like being nice, right? Being nice is, is being compassionate and empathetic. But I think it's a, a practice skill that we have to hone from the time that we were very, very small. And the work that we do allows us to model that with college students and then them pushing into schools and doing that. Um, but um, one of the things my students always say is, 
I, I'm always nice to other people. I'm not really nice to myself. Hmm. And and so we talk a lot about self-compassion because that is something that we don't teach little kids, I don't think. At least for me, we teach a lot about being nice to strangers and, and, and holding the door open, giving compliments. But we don't teach a lot about being kind to, to ourselves. No, we teach kids to behave. Yes. And yes. that's Which not the different. same. Hmm. And by the way, I can speak for the fact that Jamie has been kind and compassionate <laughs> since she was very young, since I've known her, since she was 18 yes, years old. Yeah. So it didn't take having kids to bring that out of no, her. No, no, but, you <laughs> She's know. She's got a glow. It, it, it's, and you know, the thing, too, is that um, it's, I, all my students will say, you know, is, is it easy for you? And I say, this is not easy, right? It's, it's, mm. I, don't, I don't do it because it's easy and it's not perfect. And I, I really try to kind of be really... Um, self-evident and then saying that I struggled today, right? Like, you know how you apologize to your own kids when you when you have a bad temper or when you say something that hurts their feelings? I think that for me is something that I try to model for my own students, for my own kids. And it's something, again, that comes from that idea of self-compassion, that I'm not perfect um, and that my students know that, my, my kids, my colleagues know that. And that's that's what we teach, right? Is is that it? That this is a process, and just because I'm up here teaching it doesn't mean that I'm I'm on this pedestal in any way, shape, or form. Um, and you guys can chime in on this too, but I'm going to direct this at Maria. Do you think there are people who think I think being compassionate is bad? I think being kind is bad. Um, or do you think everybody on some level thinks that's a thing to strive for? But then when you're in that moment that requires it, the easy way out might seem like not being it. I don't think necessarily that people think it's bad. I think they think it's weak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that if you're, especially if you're in a highly competitive field, that if you show compassion, you're somehow showing weakness. But there are studies that show that that is not true, that your staff performs better with a compassionate boss, that uh, you will have greater productivity if people feel supported and feel like somebody actually knows who you are and cares about what's going on in your life. Um, so I suspect most people, if you ask them, is compassion good? I can't imagine most people would say, no, it's bad. Well, yeah, that's They'd what say I'm... it's weak. I think they'd say it may be a sign of weakness. And mm-hmm. we live in a very cynical mm-hmm. society, especially mm-hmm. these days. And maybe they see that, you know, you, oh, look at you being nice. That's just yeah. weak, as you put it. But well, nice is not the same as compassionate. Well, let's break it down. What is compassionate through the lens of this, you know, center? You guys are interdisciplinary. You know, who wants to take a crack at what compassionate means? I mean, I can tell you what I tell what I tell the little kids, too, is we map it on the body. Right. That's where we start. And so compassion, I always have them point to their heart and we say compassion is the feeling you get when you see suffering and you want to relieve it and you feel it in your heart. And then kindness is what you do with your hands. And then I have them all hold up their hands and do jazz hands. And that's what we do, the act we do. You give a blanket. You give a pat on the back. You write a nice note. Mm. Something you do with your hands in response. Correct. Yes. And then empathy is the intellectual activity in your brain. And then I make them all go hug their brains, right? And that's what you do when you imagine walking in someone else's shoes. And they can all work together. They're all layered. Mm -hmm. And then there's... Back to the interdisciplinary idea, you you try to instill in college students the idea that there is some science, some research, some deeper understanding of why these things both exist and why they're beneficial. 
Is that accurate? Yeah, and then giving yes. them actionable items to practice that. Uh, it's, it's one thing that we can talk about. It's another thing that we can put those in practice. Hmm. I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guests. Jamie Wilson is a visiting instructor in FGCU's Department of Integrated Studies and a faculty member of the university's Roots of Compassion and Kindness, or ROC Center. Dr. Megan Norsha is a visiting assistant professor in FGCU's Department of Integrated Studies and also part of the ROC Center staff. And Dr. Maria Rocca is an associate professor in the Department of Integrated Studies at FGCU and director of the Rock Center and also founding faculty. Is that accurate? That is correct, yes. I'm going to throw that out there. Um, We're discussing the center, the work they do, and ways to approach this new year with compassion, kindness, and empathy. And that's where I'd like to go next. Like, what are some strategies to listeners to enact this in their actual lives? So I'll, I'll start us off. First, I want to go back to something Meg said in her definition because it's so important that in, in compassion, compassion and empathy are not the same thing. Empathy is, is a thought, a feeling, but if we don't act on it, it actually can be paralyzing. You know, you can suffer from from being empathy overloaded, you know, and, and the feeling is just too much. Compassion is that seeing of suffering, but the desire to act and then taking the action. And, and that's a real distinguishing characteristic, which would lead to the answer to the question you just asked, is um, you heard my colleagues talk about starting with self-compassion. I think that's really important. I think it's very hard to be genuinely compassionate to others if you aren't taking care of yourself first. And so the first thing I would say about the New Year is mm-hmm. be careful about the resolutions you make. Right. <laughs> so true. Don't set yourself up to fail. You know, we write these crazy resolutions where you say, I'm going to lose 20 pounds in two weeks. And, you know, and all of a sudden right. you haven't lost one and you're like, I'm a failure. <laughs> <laughs> we need to stop doing things like that and, and you know, create the kinds of, of uh, aspirations for ourselves that make our lives more satisfying, loving, caring, compassionate. But that starts with t- really taking care of ourselves. And so for me, a big piece of that is allowing ourselves to be more fully human. You know, we, we tend to try to go out and be perfect and make everybody think we're flawless. We're not. We're all messy. Period. Right. right. There isn't a single person who doesn't have goofy, weird, awful things, but great things, silly things. If we could all be more human with each other, I think we could build a much more compassionate world. And so we build outward. We start with self. We go to our more um, intimate communities, family, friends, uh, and we think we start noticing. Attention is one of the very first factors in building compassion, paying attention to what's going on around you. you know, so that I see when a facial expression you make looks like you're upset or hurt, I see it. And I respond. But then I also recognize that what I might want for myself may not be what you want for yourself. So I take the time to ask you and give you the chance to tell me. And then we go to the world beyond there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you know, having empathy but then not acting on it. And what that made me think was, and I've been thinking along these lines in general lately, we live in an information-saturated world where we, we are being informed about things that are happening all over the world most of which we have no way to act on. Do you think that's causing us to sort of get bound up emotionally, or I'm not sure if the, you know, emotionally, I guess is the right way to put it. And I think it comes back to, I want to refer back to something Jamie said when, you know, she said what she, what people say to her when she says what she does. Whenever I tell people what it is I do, the answer is always the same. They all respond and say, kindness? Oh, we need so much more of that. There's so much going on in the world that we cannot control. And in the end, what we can control is how we treat other people, how we treat ourselves, the small actions we take. And so making that part of your new year on a micro level 
could start, you know, a huge change for you, for your community, for your family. And it just takes one little spark. And just knowing that there are certain things that are going to be out of your control. So just focus on the things that are in your control. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. yeah my, um, my mentor in my doctoral program, Neil Postman, wrote a lot about actionable information in an information-saturated world. And that when we spend too much time looking at things that we have absolutely no control over, it can be debilitating. Yeah. You know, you and can, he wrote that back when we only had that's a right. tiny yeah. sliver right. of what we right. had. Yeah, there was no right. doom scrolling when, when he was around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always think about this idea. I was thinking about this when we were coming to record this, the idea of like, uh, you know the saying, if mama ain't happy, no one's happy, mm. right? And so I, I tend to think of that in the world as well. Like I can't take care of other people if I'm not taking care of myself. And that goes back to this idea that I can't give anything if I'm completely depleted, if I can't love others really well, if I'm not loving myself. And so, again, going back to this idea that, you know, in order to come up with these ideas of how I'm going to be changing and I'm going to – and you really kind of like do, do, do – I just think of this idea of just being and and just being the person that, you know, that I'm the best that I can be of that day. And if I wasn't, then it's okay because I got another day to figure it out. Uh, and so that is for me the most kind of letting go of that self-compassion is that um, I get to try again every day. You mentioned doom scrolling and yeah. you mentioned that we're in a place that's not very kind in this world. Um, do you think there's a connection between the two? You know, I've often thought that, you know, the Internet allows you to it's hard to be mean to somebody to their face, yeah. I guess mm. is the way to put it. And the Internet allows you to either be anonymous or at least distant. And so maybe people's better selves stay hidden or don't come out. Does that make sense? So all media is curated and we also self-curate. So we pick and choose what we listen to and look at. We can make changes in that so that we are exposing ourselves to more nurturing, nourishing messages. But people do. They choose a very specific collection of information to focus on, which tends more in some cases to be more angry than others. Um, watch less news. Mm -hmm. Scroll less. And start thinking about that, that you are what you eat, right? The same thing is true is we are what we eat mentally, psychologically, spiritually. Look for messages that are healthy for you yourself, whether whether it's from friends that you're with. You know, if you've got a friend that always is negative, I would limit some of the time right. <laughs> that, that you spend with them. Look for the positive and, and allow that to nourish your spirit as, as well. I don't know if the science has anything to say about this, but I've always thought that, you know, maybe in the moment it is difficult to make the compassionate move because it feels like then, you know, the easy way is to ignore something you notice or whatever. But once you stop doing that, everything else gets easier. Like if you lean into compassion, kindness, and empathy, suddenly you're like, wow, my, my path is smoother. Is there yeah. science behind that at all? Or is that just like my little wackadoo so, approach to that? Mm, I, I just learned about a study the other day that people who are trained as first responders or you know, uh, EMTs are more likely to take the compassionate act because they're trained. I think there is a lot to do with training, which yeah. is partly what we're trying to do. And just active noticing, right? Is if you were training, like again, going back to this idea of, of training our brains to be compassionate and empathetic, we're really just actively noticing kind and compassionate and empathetic opportunities, taking those opportunities and building upon it so it becomes like a muscle in your brain. So the students that you work with, um, two-part question. Um, 
do they have cynicism toward this idea or yes. or not? They, yeah. do, do they? <laughs> yeah. But then sure. just to crystallize it, so what you're doing is is you're not only teaching them, but then they're interacting with young right. young kids. Can right. you just talk some about yeah. how that works? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the students, uh, especially I, I have mostly freshmen and sophomores who come into my class. And uh, I think they come and like, oh, we're just going to be nice, you know, and oh, it's going to be an easy A, right? And then <laughs> and then we, we start to build into it. And uh, the idea that we kind of build upon the first layer of kindness and then we build upon empathy and compassion. And what I talk about and the studies I share and the science that, that we, we interact with is then they have to kind of take that information um, make it into some sizable chunks, and then they can go out and teach it to a kindergartner, a three-year-old, a middle schooler. Um, my students run kindness clubs. Uh, my students have uh, reading groups. My students are doing compassionate projects in the community, and 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 their their reach is really what they want it to be. So a lot of students will say, middle school is really hard for me. I feel like there was no one there to kind of tell me about maybe online bullying. And mm. and so then they can just take what we're learning, chunk that down into a portion where they can then turn and teach it to others is I think the ultimate form of learning. Is there any kind of like longitudinal research study happening on kids that are exposed to this and whether they turn out to be kind, compassionate and empathetic people? One of our colleagues is working on a study like yes. that. I yes. figured you wouldn't yes. let that go by. Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrea, Andrea Fortin is yeah. working on a longitudinal study. And yes. we're doing it with college students. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we gather data all the time from teachers when we go into their classrooms. What are you seeing in the difference between before we started this program and after we started this program? Um, and in the reflections that our own students do, a lot of them will say things like, yeah, I really didn't think I'd get much out of this class, but really I've learned blank. And and they will kind of really share with us. I do an activity where the students have to write a letter to themselves in the very beginning of the semester. And at the end, I bring it back out and I have them read it again. And a lot of them will just say, I don't even recognize this person from the very beginning because we've now kind of refreshed this muscle in their brain and they're able to use some compassion that they didn't have from the very beginning. Uh, last question for each of you and try to keep it relatively brief. Is there a who or a what that inspired you to be compassionate and kind? Maria Rocca, for sure. Maria Rocca. <laughs> I mean, that's a no-brainer. Maria Rocca is my is my person. She's the reason I'm here. Megan? Maria Rocca, yeah. I think, is a great answer. Well, but you've only known her for how long? Three years. So before that, were you not compassionate <laughs> or kind? <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> I work with the kid in front of me. I think that's always my answer, right? It's like, you know, I want to be kind to the one who's right in front of me. And you can really see the impact it makes. I, I'll be really brief, but I was at a middle school a couple of weeks ago. And we were doing a game. And we were modeling um, communication strategies to be really positive and support our teammates. And at the end of it, there was a little girl who came up to me and she was in a daze and she just said, I've never had anybody cheer for me like that before. Mm. And I saw the impact on one kid. And when you think about how that could change something for her, knowing that she matters, I mean, that's an impact that I want to have. I want to scale it. Hmm. Maria? My father. Yeah. And if I have a minute, I'll tell a story. Yes. So when I was a little girl, my father took me to work with him, and he was in Manhattan. He worked in a big high-rise building that was in the day of elevator operators, right? And so my father let me go wandering around the building. I got in the elevator. It was just me and the elevator operator, and he turned to me, and he said, you're Joe Lafredo's daughter, aren't you? And I said, yes. 
And he said, do you know how special your father is? Mm. And I said, well, he's my dad. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. There are hundreds of people who work in this building. He's the only one who knows my name. Mm. And he doesn't only know my name. He's asked me about my wife, my children. He asks me every time he gets in this elevator, and I know he means it. Mm. That was life-altering for me, and I was 10. And that's a lesson for all of us that just little interactions with people who you barely know can change lots. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Well, that is all the time we have. I appreciate you guys coming in and having this conversation because I certainly think we need more of these things as we embark on 2024. Uh, Dr. Maria Rocca is an associate professor in the Department of Integrated Studies at FGCU and director of the university's Roots of Compassion and Kindness, or Rock Center. Maria, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Jamie Wilson is an instructor in FGCU's Department of Integrated Studies and also a faculty member of the Rock Center. Jamie, thanks to you. Thanks to you. And Dr. Megan Norsha is a visiting assistant professor in FGCU's Department of Integrated Studies and also part of the Rock Center. Megan, it's great to meet you. Thank you, Mike. You can find links to information about FGCU's Rock Center and the work they and their students do on our website, wgcu.org gcl. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1. WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM NPR for Southwest Florida.